morning. Anybody else? Anybody else having allergy issues this morning? I am. So um, I was thinking about this from last week, talking about, uh, we, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, and really looking at the broken walls that Nehemiah is trying to come in. And I, and I mentioned last week that Satan wants to convince you that he can, that the brokenness that's your life it cannot be used. And that's just not true. God can take anything, anything in your life, and he can fix it. He can put it back together. He can, he can clean it. He can wash it. He can make it, your life amazing in him. But, but we cannot listen to Satan telling us this kind of stuff. I was thinking about this last week when, when, um, when we were talking about putting this to, together. Well, it was actually more than that. But the idea that in Christianity we actually we do certain things with this. We take certain things and we say, well, this is, this is like the, the, the unpardonable sin. You know, we do this with things like abortion or um, any of the any, any sexual preferences, any of those kind of categories. We say, well, those, you know, you can, it's like you can't be forgiven of that kind of stuff. But, you know, murderers can. It's weird how we do this kind of stuff. But it's also just very powerful when you see the blood of Jesus just transform somebody. And I do this. I was, I was very excited last week at our baptism. It was a lot of fun in the Y, uh, the YMCA. They, we, I, we were supposed to, I think we were, may, I may have this wrong, but I think we were supposed to have the whole pulled ourselves. But they just like put a rope down the middle and said, okay, this half shores, which actually worked out really cool. I loved it because there was all of these other people on the other side of the pool watching us. And then when, every time somebody get baptized, everybody would cheer and clap. And there was lots of us from the church there. And I look over at the other side of the pool, and these kids are like, I don't know, you know, I don't know. The lifeguard was going. I, it, it, was, it was just really cool. It was, uh, it was a great thing. And so, so if you guys weren't there, you missed it. That was, that was a lot of fun. It was just a great opportunity to, to see this. So I want to introduce somebody to you this morning. We have uh, an intern that's going to be with us that is um, um, jo- joining us this week, but is here and his family's here Grant, why don't you stand up for us real quick? We just want to stare at you for a second. <clears throat> so Grant's desire is to be a, a worship pastor sometime in the future, and uh, he just graduated, graduated high school last year, and so he's going to spend uh, some of his future here with us, learning some stuff, doing some things. Um, the, the importance of how to unclog a toilet is very important to a worship pastor, <laughs> things like that that are going to be happening here that we're really excited about. And then his whole family even brought his girlfriend, um, just to let everybody know. Okay, all right. So, <clears throat> I mean, she wants me to say this. She wants me to make sure we establish this guy's taken. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing some things. You'll be seeing a little bit more of him uh, in the future, doing a lot of things. So, we're just kind of excited about this. It's, um, it's a new thing for us, a new thing for him. And uh, so any mistakes that will be made will be on his feet. So, <laughs> I, so last week I was talking about, um, I, 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 I did change the message right before the service. And so this is actually, um, for the most part, the message from last week with some changes. But to, but to, but to say this is, last week actually kind of was the uh, foundation for what I'm talking about this week. And looking at that, we hold on to stuff. We hold on to things in our life. We hold on to um, negative things. We hold on to baggage. We hold on to a lot of stuff in our life, and it really does hinder us. To, to use the mental picture that I used last week, 
um, of, of a guy that is drowning, somebody that's drowning out in the water, when the, when the person goes to rescue them, the person is drowning will try to grab onto them, hold them, and it brings both of you down. It drowns you both. And, and I really do think that there's just something about human nature. It's the, obviously, it's the brokenness, the sin nature, that, that when rescue is there, either from the Lord or from somebody else or from God's Word, whatever the case is, we have the rescue. We have the opportunity to, to fix some things. We have the opportunity for God to really do some things and change stuff. And, and we will literally grab on to the, either the person who's trying to rescue us and take them down or hold on to the junk of our life and let it take us down in the process when, when we've got to really truly learn to say, God, this life is, is really yours. If I will let go and let you be in charge, it's amazing what you can do. But, but, but human nature just doesn't do that. We fight. We struggle. It's, it's a, there's a resistance that, that says this is, and I think some of it is, is um, uh, you know, well, a lot of it's, it's self-protection. Uh, some can be rebellion and pride and things like that. I get that. I, I, I talked about that a little bit. I'll talk about it a little bit this week. But I really believe a lot of times it's just that, that our, our sinful nature just seems there's a comfort in our destructiveness. There's a comfort that says, well, at least I know this. Regardless of how, how unhealthy it may be, at least I know this. And so we stay there and we, we hold on to this. And, and I was thinking about, um, there's a statement that I'm going to read toward the end of this. And I've heard this statement use, I've, in fact, I've never heard somebody use it right unless they're like uh, uh, speaking a message or writing in a book, and even then I've seen it done wrong. But, but anytime I've ever heard anybody quote this scripture, they, they quote it completely wrong, completely out of context wrong every single time. And the, and the statement is, um, well, this is the cross that I bear. And, and in our American context, which is, you know, America is a very pamper, pampered society, we, we have a lot of things at our disposal, a lot of resources, a lot of opportunity. This just doesn't exist around the rest of the world. In fact, I, I uh, was watching something this week, and I heard a, um, a college student talking about the abject poverty that exists in America and how it is so rampant all over the United States of America. Well, well let me help you with truth. There really is not abject poverty in America. There is some slight places where it might be coming close, but there is no such thing as abject poverty in America. In fact, I just got a request this week from one of the homeless people that we used to pick up and bring to the church to be on her Facebook account because she just got a new um, smartphone and she wants to have a GoFundMe account so she can take a trip to the Caribbean. And I was like, what? I can't afford to go to the Caribbean, so, but either way. So, <clears throat> uh, but the, the idea of abject poverty doesn't exist in America. There is poverty in America. There's no doubt about poverty. But when people that are in poverty have cars, microwaves, air conditioning, smartphones, you know, it, that's not abject poverty. But we live in America, and people that have not been outside of America don't know what's really going on out there. They don't really know what abject poverty is. It does exist on this planet. It just doesn't exist in America. When, when literally, there's there, nothing, they have nothing. And so we have this, this thing, American culture does stuff to us. It actually changes our mindset, changes realities, or changes facts into something that becomes our reality that's not true. It's not based upon truth. And we do this in our Christianity. We do this to where we can take a statement, well, this is the cross I bear. Every time I've ever heard that quoted, it means this is something difficult that I have to deal with. 
That's what it means when people use that statement. Except that's not what the Bible means. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it says take up your cross. But we, let, we allow culture to so infiltrate what we're thinking that we really believe that when we're going through something difficult, that it's the cross that Jesus said take up. And, it, and it's not even close to that. The, I, I've heard this in the context of marriage. Well, I'm dealing with this spouse, and he or she doesn't treat me right. And it, well, it's just the cross I bear. Do, do you really think that Jesus, when he said take up your cross, it meant... Um, you got a nagging wife, so here's your cross. But we do that kind of stuff. Because why? At the end of the day, we're not really rationalized. We're not really rationalizing what Jesus is trying to tell us and, and really get the big picture. And I think sometimes because we don't necessarily want to go down that road. It's much more. Di- it's easier just to say, well, I'm dealing with a, a difficult boss at work. Well, it's the cross I bear. I even heard somebody this week say, I, I, they didn't mean to, but uh, they didn't even realize they had said it. But they said, well, it's the bear that I cross. I'm like, what? Are you genuflicting a bear? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know what's, whatever. So, <clears throat> so uh, let's go to Mark chapter 8. And I want to, this is just two basic categories. I'm taking, I'm taking this set of scripture out of Mark. And I'm going to take uh, the very similar scripture set of scripture out of Matthew. They're basically the same thing, but they say a little bit different. And so I'm going to use them to focus on two different mentalities, but it's the same subject. And really it's the, the idea of what is our cross, what, what and, and I could define this in a lot of different ways, many different titles here. What, what is our life? What does our life consist of? What is our priorities? That could be a, a title of this. But to really look at the first section of this is that we have to really fight ourselves. We have to fight self to really get what the Lord wants done in our life. And that's always, that, that's always going to be our biggest challenge is us. Our biggest challenge is not there, out there. Biggest challenge is not all the, the opportunities to sin and everything else. Those, there is every opportunity to do every single thing out there. Why do only some of them affect your life? Because the real issue is not the, the stuff. It's you and how you relate to it. It's how you process it. How's you, it's how you uh, deal with it. And so in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. This is an important thing to always keep in mind. This one, this one kind of flies in the face of our, of our American Christianity a little bit. But, but think about this. If it's, if it's really Jesus that you're going after, it will always offend and be divisive to the religious world, regardless of, of the title of that religiosity. You can put any title you want to. You can put Hinduism, Islam, um, uh, fake Christianity. You can, you can put any title you want to it, but Jesus will always be offensive to religiosity. He always will be. He will not be offensive to, to uh, deep spirituality. He, he won't be. Um, uh, a hunger for spiritual things. Uh, in fact, I, I'm going to do that. I've, I've never done this before. I'm going to recommend a TV show to you. I get nervous about this because as soon as I recommend it and it starts getting to be a popular show, they're going to change it and get an agenda out there that tries to undermine the actual thing. But there's a new show that's come on. They've only had two episodes. It's called God Friended Me. Watch this show. So far, that's my disclaimer, okay? So far, 
This has been a pretty amazing show in looking at spirituality and the hunger for spiritual things, specifically with millennials, and how they're processing this, and what, who is God, and all this kind of stuff. It is a great show. Now, who knows, three or four months from now, they, it may turn out God's gay. Okay, my disclaimer right now is that's not what's going on at the show right now. So, it's, it's very powerful to say there's a hunger and a spirituality. Jesus will not be offensive to people that are hungry for spirituality, for people that are, that are on a journey to try to find God. Jesus will not be offensive. For people that think they have all of the spiritual answers and have built a religion, Jesus will always be divisive to them and offensive to them. And this is what he is saying here. He says, is, uh, He's telling them that, he, that he's going to have to suffer terrible things, and, it, and, and it's going to be at the hands. It's going to be rejected. It's going to be at the hands of these, of these uh, religious people. So he says the elders, leading priests, teachers of religious law. And then he says that he would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And he talked about this openly with his disciples. It was, it was something that he talked about regularly. This is one of the interesting things that I, I hear every now and then when people are talking about different things in Scripture, and they say, well, the disciples didn't know that Jesus was going to die. They did know that Jesus was going to die. He talks about it a lot. He talks about it over and over and over. And he says, this is actually what I came to do. Now, they didn't understand it. They didn't rationalize it properly. Because he would talk about he's going he's to die and he's going to set up his kingdom. And they thought he meant a physical kingdom. And so the, if you look at their responses, their responses are always from a limited physical point of view. That, that Jesus is, is coming to set up an earthly kingdom, overthrow the Roman government, and all that kind of stuff. If you look at it from that point of view, a lot of their statements will make sense. If you're thinking about it from what Jesus is trying to say, which is, I'm not coming to set up a physical kingdom. I'm coming to set up a spiritual kingdom that's transcendent and eternal. And I actually came to give my physical life to establish this kingdom. Then Jesus' statements make sense, but the disciples won't. And when, if you look at it from the disciples' point of view, that it's an earthly kingdom, Jesus' statements don't make sense, but the disciples do. Because they... They got the information, but they weren't getting there. It's the same thing. I've had people say that the disciples didn't know what they were waiting for in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus said, go wait for the, the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Not, and Well, they didn't know what they were waiting for. They just kept waiting and waiting and waiting until, like, they, like, <clears throat> like when they got to, and, and I've also heard, heard this frame that when they got to a spiritual place, when they got to that spiritual, um, graduated into that maturation or something, that then the Holy Spirit, you know, and none of those things are true. The Holy Spirit was going to come on Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 2. He was going to come at that specific time, regardless of whether they were ready for it or not. Because it's the day of Pentecost. It had nothing to do with their spiritual state. It had to do with the plan of the Holy Spirit. And they also knew what they were waiting on because Jesus had told them over and over. Mark 16 says, go preach the gospel and these signs will follow. You will speak in tongues. They had already knew what was going to be happening. He said to them before the ascension, he stand there and he says, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and you will receive power. They, they knew what they were waiting for and they knew when it was going to happen. They just had never experienced it like that before. The same thing with Jesus dying on the cross. They knew he was going to die. He told them over and over, but they couldn't rationalize. They couldn't function properly with it because they, they were rejecting the idea of it I, I, partly, to be fair to him, partly because it was beyond their grasp at some level, okay? But the other side is, is they still were looking at it from their point of view. Look at this. He talked openly about all this with his disciples. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Let, let me put a little parenthetical statement in here, okay? Peter took him aside and began to reprimand 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of everything, the God of the universe, the final judge, authority, the transcendent one, Peter felt like he needed to take him aside and reprimand him. We, we all go on that silly Peter, except that every one of us in this room, if you've been a Christian any length of time, you've done the same thing. You try to explain to God, God, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Or we get upset at him. We get mad because, well, God, you're not doing it my way. The statement when people say, God's always in the nick of time. He's never early and he's never late. You know what that is? That's human beings' frustration with God. That's what that is. That's not this profound faith statement that's saying, God, you're always going to be perfect. No, we're saying in my limitedness, which is time, which God isn't limited to, so God cannot always be on time because he's not limited to time. But that's our frustration saying, God, why couldn't you have done it earlier? Why couldn't you? Do? And when somebody says it's because God's always not early, not late, he's always around, that's because they wanted him to be early, but he wouldn't be, right? We do this as human beings. We try to do all of this stuff and fit God into our categories, and Peter's doing the same thing. Peter brings Jesus aside and begins to explain to Jesus how Jesus is confused about this whole dying thing. Now, here is some a profound thing. I had my own personal walk with Jesus years ago. I am so glad Jesus did not listen to Peter, and I'm so glad Jesus does not listen to me. And probably you too. I'm saying I'm probably glad Jesus doesn't listen to you too. <laughs> because why? Because we're humans, and humans don't get this right. We make a lot more mistakes in the process. So he's going to reprimand him for saying such things. So Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. I think kind of like getting their attention, looking and processing this. Does he want to say this? Does he want to be this strong? I think maybe that's going through his head. I don't know. But he looks, turns around, looks at his disciples. Then he reprimands Peter. And he says, get away from me, Satan. Peter goes down in history as the only guy that Jesus called Satan. That's a, that's a great remember me moment, right? Now, I thought about this because, so, so Thomas has a uh, nickname in Scripture, from Scripture, not in Scripture, but from Scripture. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? The guys gave that to him, not Jesus. Jesus didn't give him that moniker, but somebody that maybe the disciples, maybe the generations will follow, but eventually becomes Doubting Thomas because of one moment when he's standing in the room with the disciples, which means he was obedient. He is waiting for Jesus to be there, which means he's hungry. Jesus, and then he says, but I'm not going to believe unless I see, right? The marks in his hand. And so then everybody calls him Doubting Thomas forever. It doesn't matter that he was one of the, the founders of many churches out through Asia Minor, what we call the Silk Road. He, he founded churches up through there. He was a great man of God, but because of one moment. So here's my question. Why don't we call Peter Satan Peter? Right? Jesus actually said that about Peter. But the reason is because we get the bigger picture. See, I, I want to be a little fair to Peter here. Even though he is being normal Peter, which is first to speak, last to think. He, he, let's be fair to him. The reason he says this to Jesus is because he deeply loves Jesus. And he wants, he's trying to do the right thing. He doesn't want Jesus to die. And he's tired of Jesus talking about this. Jesus, every time you get on this subject, it's such a downer. Let's not talk about that. 
Let's not say negative things. We've got this in our society today. We can't say negative things. Can't say negative things about anybody under any circumstances. Can't say negative things to our kids. It'll bruise their psyche. Come on. That, that, that stuff is silly. It's goofy. Because then guess what happens? When that kid actually grows up and becomes an adult, people say mean things to you. That's truth. And the first time you're sitting at work and somebody says mean things, you implode and you do that, I can't handle it. And you leave. And instead of just going, shut up. I've, I've tried to really help my kids with this. <laughs> I say lots of mean things to them. So when... I need your input. So, uh, so when they get in the real world, they'll be like, that's all you got? That's all, that, my dad could bring it way better than that. <laughs> my oldest son uh, was talking. There's a counselor in his church where he's a children's pastor in Texas, and, and uh, he was sitting down there at dinner or something talking about it. And, and so he calls me later day and goes, Dad, I've been talking to this counselor so and so. Yeah. And uh, I found out that you have horribly abused me all my life. I'm like... That counselor know what she's talking about. What kind of quack is this? He's like, so she's the wrong one? Yeah, yeah okay, Dad, thanks. <laughs> All right, so he says, get away from me, Satan. Now, look at this. He says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. Guys, this is where we struggle. This is why we hold on to things in our life. This is why we hold on to baggage and pain and stuff like that. Because we're looking at our life through human eyes with human understanding, which is so limited and so messed up and so broken and so corrupt that we actually have the ability to call something that is not good, good. We have, to have that ability as human beings. And we can so call something that we know to be a lie, we can call it truth because it will make us feel better inside. It will make us more comfortable and make us okay with the moment. We can look at our, our, our lifestyles. We can look at the things that are going on, and we can say, no, this is good. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going I'm to believe that this is healthy for me, when it's actually destructive. It's killing us, and we're holding on to it and saying, no, that's good. And, and Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're missing the whole thing. I actually came to suffer. I came to die, and you're missing it. If I don't do this, you don't get eternal life. Why are you trying to talk me out of this? The reason is because you're looking at this through human eyes that are limited to right now and about how I feel instead of truth, instead of transcendence that goes beyond this moment. And he's saying, Peter, you're missing the whole thing. Now, again, I don't think Peter was trying to do wrong here. I think he was trying to do right. His heart was right for the most part, except he was, this sinful nature was speaking louder than, than, than truth was speaking. Now, now, I've seen the same example in, um, in, in uh, parent situations in today's society where parents that love their children, they're trying to do the right thing, actually hurt their children and hinder their children long term by not speaking truth to them, by enabling them to do things that are not healthy for them. And, and we actually hurt our children sometimes when we actually are trying to do the right thing because we love them. But why are we doing it? Because we're looking at this through human eyes. And it is so difficult as a parent sometimes to really let our children go through difficult things. We want to rescue them at all times. And, it's, and it hurts them sometimes. It hurts them not to have to go through some stuff and figure some things out and process and develop a, an answer to things. We try to, we try to carry them and coddle them. And it's, it's painful. I mean, it's, it's harmful sometimes. 
Instead of saying, wait a second, I can't look at this through human eyes. It's not about right now sometimes. It's not about how I feel. Sometimes it's about the future, and it's not about how I feel. It's about their life and truth and these kind of things. So he says, you're missing the whole thing. He says, then calling all the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. This is one of these statements where we don't like it that Jesus is saying it. We wish somebody else was saying it because Jesus is looking at this people and saying, you're selfish. You're not going to be able to follow me if you keep being selfish. The reason we don't like him to say it to them is because if he's saying it to them, and we believe God's word is for us today, then that means he must be saying it to us too. He must be looking at us and saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to give up your selfish ways. Wait, who are you to talk to me that way? How dare you? Well, he's God. And he actually has our best interest at in his heart, he has our best interest um, as, as his goal, his direction. It's not that he, the Lord doesn't gain anything by telling us that we've got to lose our selfish ways. We gain if we lose our selfish ways and go after him. So he continues. He says, <clears throat> you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. So part of what taking up the cross is, is losing our selfish ways. Now again, interestingly, most when we use the term, well, this is the cross that I must bear, it, it, anytime I've ever heard it, it has to do with somebody is dealing with something that is affecting them. Instead of saying, this is the cross that I must bear, which is the, what is the cross that you bear? Losing your selfish ways is the cross that you must bear. It has nothing to do with what is happening to you. It has nothing to do with other people. It has to do with us. Because, see, the cross is an implement of death. When we, when we take up a cross, it means that we are dying to self in Christ. This is one of the things that has really become a, um, a tragic thing in the way our, our Americanized Christianity, our pampered, we've got everything we need American Christianity, is that we think when Jesus died on the cross and that he suffered, and it talks about he suffered and died, that somehow that means that I will never suffer. And then we take the statement that says that he died so that we don't have to, which is talking about eternally, to mean that we will never have that mentality in our life today. Except Romans 12 says that the only way you can know God's will is put yourself on the altar and sacrifice your existence. That's death. See, when Jesus dies, he is not dying in lieu of us on this earth dying and going through stuff. It means that we die along with him, that we sacrifice ourselves to him. It's no longer my life. And then what he's talking about here is you've got to take up your cross, which is what? You're dying to self. It's not about you and the idea of suffering, too. It says that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and that he takes suffering for, because why? Because we will also suffer in this life, and he's going to walk right with us through all of that because he's dealt with it. doesn't mean we don't suffer. See, we've taken our Christianity says that Jesus died on the cross, so then therefore my life must be good, everything must be positive, everything must be great, there's not going to be any difficulties in any negative. And then reality happens, just like it happened to, say, Paul when he got stoned to death. And we say, wait a second, 
There are negative things going on, Jesus. This is not what you promised. Jesus said, you're right, it isn't. You created that. There is going to be suffering in your Christian walk. And for it to truly be a Christian walk, there has to be death. And that means you have to die to self. If you don't die to self, you're not really walking with him. You're not really there. And he explains this. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, if you give up your life, that's what taking your cross is, is giving up your life. For my sake, for Jesus, and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Which is part of the reason that my, my theology is all built around the, the, the um, understanding that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus with other people. Because the only true way you're taking up the cross, there's just no way you can get around this. The only way you're truly taking up the cross is for, is for the sake of Jesus and for his good news. For his gospel to be taken to people. That's taking up your cross. This is where, again, we built a Christianity that says, take me to the cross is I'm getting all the good stuff. God's doing good things and blessing me, making me feel good all the time. And everything's great and happy and, and a lot of whipped cream and stuff. And he's saying, no, taking up my cross means that you're doing it for the sake of Jesus. You're doing it for the gospel and you're losing yourself in the process. So really, at the end of the day, it, it's the, all the blessings and things that God says he's going to do for us. They're there. They exist but it's different for, for somebody that's truly following the Lord because they no longer have an existence separate from Christ. So really, even as God's blessing and everything, it's intertwined within this relationship of Jesus Christ where you're on the altar sacrificed for Jesus. And your life is sacrificed for him. It's all intertwined with him. And he says, you're giving up your life for what? For the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his gospel. Which also makes you a great, um, your life a great testimony to people. When you really surrender yourself to Jesus, it becomes known. Even if you don't say anything, which you need to be saying stuff, but even if you don't say anything, it becomes known because you're not the same person. You're different. There's things about you are different. You, you have actually a desire to talk about God, and we'll get to that in a second. So he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but lose your own soul. Now, again, I mentioned this last week that a lot of times what we do is we think that, um, that this means uh, material stuff. W what happens if you gain uh, all the material things? And, and anytime I've ever heard this, it's about what if you get that job? What if you get, and all that's included. All that's included in this subject. But as I tried to, to bring out last week, sometimes what we're trying to gain has nothing to do with resources or, or uh, material things or even tangible things. Sometimes what we're trying to gain is a, is a mentality. It's an, it's an attitude in life. It's the way we look at, at ourselves. It's the way we look at others. It's the way we look at forgiveness or whatever. And we're holding on to this and saying, this is my existence. And, and the Lord is saying, so what if you gain that? What if you gain that? Think about this with our kids. We, we try to do things or give our kids or whatever. Case. Okay, so what if you give your kids all this stuff, all of these things, this, this life or lifestyle or material goods or whatever. What if you give all your kids and they lose their soul in the process? What's the point? What's, what did you accomplish? Well, they got to do this. They did this. They lived this life. They got it. Okay, but they, but they lost everything in the process. What's the point? Why, what's, what's the reason? So I, well, I need this new job. I get, you know, all this stuff. Okay, so what if you get it? And you lose everything in the process. And again, these things aren't always 
um, black or white, it's not an either or kind of thing. I think you can live a life and do the things and be pursuing God, but only if you, if you give the Lord the priority over everything else in your existence. Again, this is the way that, I, that I've processed it myself and help you process this, is if we, specifically your kids are younger, not like if they're 30, but if they're still teenagers or even younger than that, if we sat down with your kids right now and said, what are the most important things to mom and dad, what would they say? Here's another one. What if we just looked at your bank account? What does your bank account says is the most important things to you? What if we looked at your time schedule? What does your time schedule say is the most important things to you? Okay, so what if you gain all that? Whatever that is, what if you gain all that? But you lose your soul in the process. We convince ourselves, well, I can do both. Maybe you can. What, if, what does it benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns to glory with his Father with the holy angels. It's interesting that it doesn't say if we're ashamed of the Lord during these um, days of persecution. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't say persecution is the focus. He says sin, adulterous and sinful ways, sinful people, sinful mentality, sinful times. Because it's a lot more difficult to stand up for the Lord, not in the face of persecution, but in the face of sin, an opportunity for sin, opportunity to do whatever Satan is enticing you to do. It's a lot more difficult to stand up for the Lord in those moments. When the persecution, this is, this is the way that I, I've talked about it when it comes to marriage counseling, things like that, when, when the marriage is struggling, whatever. And I'll, and I'll usually the guy is what I'm talking to when I'm saying this. But I'll say, if somebody busts into your house and tries to take your children, drag your children out of the house, you'll fight for them. Take your wife and drag her out of the house, you'll fight, you'll hopefully you'll fight for her. But it's interesting that we open the back door and let Satan come in and mess with us all day long with, with attitudes and laziness and sin. He says, you, when you, the way you stand for me is you stand for me in the face of an adulterous and sinful nation. Guys, this is where our country is going right now. This is where we're working hard to run down this path. We're doing everything we can to. I, I was watching a TV show this week, and, uh, and I was kind of liking the show. I'd seen a couple shows of it, and I was excited about it. And then right in the middle of the show, one of the characters is like an 11-year-old boy, and he's gay, and he's liking one of his um, friends at school that's a boy, and all these parents are encouraging that. And I thought, you guys never give up, do you? You never quit trying to attack you never quit with your agenda, your agenda, your agenda, constantly pushing sin, constantly pushing immorality, constantly pushing up in the face of God that we're going to do this and it's good and you can't do anything about it. I thought, why? Why did you have to bring that into the show? Me and my wife have said this a thousand times over the years. Watching some movie or something, all of a sudden there's some kind of language or, or nudity or something. You're like, why did you do? It didn't do anything for the movie. It didn't, it wasn't part of the plot. It didn't, it was just like moving away. We need a naked person. Let's put them right there. 
that, that stuff gets on my nerves. It's the adulterous and sinful agenda, pushing, pushing, pushing. And that's where Jesus says, you've got to stand up for me in the middle of that. Second part of this is that we've got to choose the Lord over everything. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I, I, I think that there has to be, I have to throw this out here, I, don't, I, I can't not. I've always been confused by a Christian mentality that says, I love Jesus with everything about me. I love him, my heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Everything about me is about Jesus. It's all about his worship and, and his word and, and getting together with other believers and all kinds of stuff. And your coworker that's been working beside you for 10 years has no idea you're a Christian. I, I've never understood that. I, I, for me, the things that I'm passionate about come out. They do. They, they eventually bubble out. I can't help it. I, I'm sitting on an airplane. If somebody starts talking to me, within three or four minutes, they're going to hear about my wife and my kids. And now, they're going to get pictures of my granddaughter. In fact, the other day, I, I was just walking around a restaurant. I don't, I don't know why I did this, but I had a picture of my granddaughter on the phone. I was like, everybody should see this. And so, I just started walking around the restaurant, going up to tables and saying, hey, this is my granddaughter. I'd show them the phone. They'd be like, you know, look at each other like, comb your hair and brush your teeth, you know. So, but I did. I couldn't help it. I was like, hey, here's my granddaughter. And then, and then I went to this table with these two older ladies. And they're like, oh, let me see this. So I just sat down with them. We just visited about my granddaughter for a little while. This stuff bubbles out. How can we... If we really are passionate about Jesus, why doesn't he come out in some of our conversations? Why doesn't, why doesn't it at least <clears throat> somewhere we see this as being important to something? I, why don't we get as passionate about Jesus as being vegan? Why don't we get passionate about Jesus as much as CrossFit? Why don't, I'm getting tired of you CrossFit people. I'm old school. God made weights to lift. He didn't, oh, so, well. all right. He says, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Guys, that is the, that is the most tragic thing that could be said to us. You deny me here on earth, I'm denying you to God. That's huge. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Again, this flies in the face of our American Christianity. Can you imagine a Christmas song that says, Jesus came to not bring peace on earth? <laughs> right? This is the opposite of the way we look. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, the sword of his word that cuts through the stuff, that gets to the priority of every situation, that cuts past all the religiosity and cuts through all the things that we try to build up in our life and all the attitudes and rebellion and stuff. And his sword cuts through and he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring peace in your spirit, but only when you let me be in charge. That's the only way the peace of God will rule in our hearts and our minds is in Christ Jesus. And so that's where it has to come from. And he says, I came to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. See, this is interesting because Jesus said that he came to die for everybody. He wants everybody to know him. But the, the, the reality of this is that 
that not everybody's going to accept Jesus Christ. And so when his word of truth is cutting through, it is going to cause division in some situations, some lives. Because why? When his word begins to cut through all this stuff, you have to decide what do you love more. He doesn't want you to not love your mother and father. That is not even close to what he's saying. But he's saying anything, anything you love more than me separates you from me. Because you actually begin to turn that direction and go that direction. You love your parents more, you're heading that direction. And he says, but I want you to turn toward me. you got to turn away from everything else and turn toward me. Then you have healthy relationship with mother and father, healthy relationship with mother-in-law, all these things, because you're heading toward me. But if you head toward those things, you can't have me. He says, if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Why don't you stand with me? So here's the way that the Lord has really been working on me quite a few months now with this subject. And I want to I throw it at you to think about this morning. This is the way we're going to pray about this. Is, Lord, what, uh, what in my life right now could potentially be um, pulling my attention, be prioritizing, be prioritized in my life over you? What, what could there potentially be right now that I've turned my life and my existence toward and I'm, and I'm walking that direction. Instead of saying, Lord, I fashion my heart, my mind, my, my eyes, I fashion them on you. And this is where we have to ask the Lord for really to help us. Because our human nature will reject even processing this. But when we really allow the Holy Spirit to help us, the Holy Spirit will say, here's some things. Here's some stuff. Here's some things you need to think about, work on, look at, process. Okay, so bow your heads with me. Lord, we ask you to, to, to open our spiritual eyes. Lord, help us to see some things that we're probably not looking at right now. God, we need your help with this. Lord, every one of us in this room, there's things that we need to process. Lord, we want to love you more than anything else. God, I ask you, I ask you just to convict me right now. Get into my head, get into my heart, my spirit. Convict me, Lord, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. To, to, to eclipse you, to get above you, to, to take priority over you. I don't want to love anything more than I love you. I want you to be the, the, the focus of my existence, the foundation of my life. Lord, if I lose everything else, if I lose everything else and I have you, then I have everything I need. Lord, help me get to that place emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Jesus name that I need you Lord I pray that for every one of us in here that we need you help us to see it, help convict us right now Holy Spirit get in our world and, and, and mess it up convict us, let us see what you're trying to help us see right now Lord I want to carry my cross and I want it to look just like your cross and you died on that cross Lord, I want to do the same thing. I want to to die to myself completely and let you be God. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for putting it in your word because we really do struggle with this. God, you know that. So help us with it. In Jesus' name. Just ask him. 
I just ask him right now, Lord, get in my head. Convict me. Where, where is it not right? Where is it? Where is the balance out? What needs to change? Am I putting something in front of you? Ask him. The Lord will show you right now. He'll show you. And then be open to it. As he begins to show you, don't let it just be knowledge. Don't let it just be revelation. But let it turn into direction. Let it turn into direction. So let's ask him, Lord, you're showing me stuff. What do I do with it? God, how do I change this? How do I change this? Lord, give us, give us the give us the answer. What do we do? Is it just a mental thing we need to change? Is it an emotional thing? Is it actual a physical thing? A, t- a time structure in our life? A- an attitude change in our life? Or do we need to treat some people differently? Lord, show us the answer right now. What do we need to do in Jesus' name? What do we need to do? God, give us, give us answers right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, cover us with your blood. Make us right with God. Pull us in close. Give us that relationship. Lord, I know we can do this. I know every person in this room, every person in this room is struggling in different ways with this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let me ask you, since I said that, you say, God's, God's showed me something. God showed me something. And I'm, I'm going to work on this. Not, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but if you just raise your hand, God's showed me something. I'm going to work on this. Because this is truth. This is reality right here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. God has, has laid a list out for me right now more than he has in a long time. I need to, I need to address some things, some attitudes, some, some mindsets, some uh, just stuff. It's none of your business. So just... And I'm, so I'm praying, God, help me with this. I, can't, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to handle this. Stop picking on me. <laughs> but God knows what it is. God knows what it is. So just go there with him, okay? Go there with him. And, and he'll, he'll fix some stuff. He'll do some things. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to, to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Let it bubble out of you. Let it, let it just, just, you just can't contain it. You need to tell them. Let it bubble out of you, and, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, tell them how glad that you are that they are here, and uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.